being efficient is is crucial in the service business because you only have X amount of time during a day and you want to obviously try to get as many appointments completed in a day in an efficient manner. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm Matt Rouse, and I'm here with Carrie Rouse. Hello, hello. And today we are interviewing local business person, Jesse Peralta. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing good. So you're with Chimcare. Yes. And you and I met at a networking event from somebody else that we had on the show, which was Portland Real Producer Magazine. They have some networking events that go along with the advertising for the real estate magazine. Yep. And uh, we met at an event there. It was at Lake Oswego. Yes. Right? Yep. So anyways, I wanted to kind of talk. We've done a little bit of work together, but I mean, your business, when we first met... I guess I didn't realize kind of the scale of it, you know, when we were first talking. It seems like you've been growing really rapidly and, uh, you know, everything's going great as far as I know anyway, right? You know, for the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of wanted to have you on so we could talk about how you've grown that because it is a local business that you started, right? Yes, that is and correct. Then, and now you've grown to where you're in multiple states. And so we could talk a little bit about that. So first off, though, why don't you tell us a little more about what Chimcare is? And then also kind of how you got started. Sure. So Chimcare, like you said, family business. And we specialize in doing chimney cleaning, chimney repair. We sell chimney caps. We're just now getting into the retail space. So we have a showroom that we just recently built in uh, Wilsonville uh, where we sell gas and wood, wood burning inserts and outdoor fire pits, uh, outdoor fireplaces, etc. Okay, can we stop for one sec? What is a chimney cap? What is a chimney cap? Okay, good question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chimney cap is a, well, I guess uh, in layman's terms, it's a metal cover that's put over the top of the chimney. So there's a couple different styles of caps. So you can get ones that are put over uh, what's called terracotta flue tiles, which is usually the top of your chimney have a cement crown and you usually have a terracotta flue tile that uh, sticks up above that. And you can get a small chimney cap that covers uh, and basically attaches to that terracotta flue tile. Or you can get what's really we recommend is what's called an outside mount chimney cap, which covers the entire top of the chimney and basically sheds the water away from the chimney. And that uh, helps with the longevity of the chimney and reducing the amount of repairs that are needed. As you guys know, we're here in the Pacific Northwest, and so it just rains a lot, and rain is really what causes, uh, you know, chimneys to deteriorate and have a lot of damage and or, you know, potential water leaks. Sure. And then the other thing that you had mentioned that I think is maybe something people aren't familiar with is a fireplace, like, insert. Yes. And that is, as I understand it, that's like somebody had, like, an old-style, just normal wood-burning fireplace and then an insert would be something that you can put in like gas or something to replace that old one? Yeah, so wood-burning fireplaces are really inefficient. So they're really meant for like uh, an ambience of having a fire, not really for heating the home. So inserts uh, were you know made basically to produce heat in the home. So that way when you have a fire, you can actually, you know, most of them have blowers, so you can push the heat out into the room. And they also basically are, are kind of like a conductor where they're they're heating themselves up and radiating some of that heat back into the room. So a lot of people that are interested in utilizing the fireplace for heat would want to purchase a wood burning insert or nowadays what's really common is a is a gas insert. 
and a gas insert is like, well, I was going to say fake fire, but it's real fire. (laughs) (laughs) It's gas that's on fire. (laughs) So how did you get started with your business? Like you say it was a family business. Was it like, did you work in like your parents had the business or something? Or did you start it yourself? Or how did that family business kind of come around? And then how did you kind of grow it from there? It's kind of interesting because my dad actually started the company back in 1989. And uh, just my dad was the one going out in the field doing the work. My mom was in the office, you know, answering the phones and doing the scheduling. And probably when I was about uh, 14 years old is when I first started to learn how to clean chimneys. Right. And it's kind of funny now that I look back at it because it's uh, something I was really actually embarrassed of, mm-hmm. <laughs> being a quote unquote chimney sweep. And so, but I worked with with my dad on and off through high school and part of college. And then I decided that I wanted nothing to do with the family business and I wanted to just go out on my own. And so um, that's what I did. So I started a a career in sales, uh, working for a company called uh, True Green. They had a really good program. That's where I learned a lot of, uh, you know, the sales aspect of what's involved, you know, with the business today. And... I started as a sales rep and worked my way up kind of the corporate ladder. I started up a satellite office for them out in um, Eugene, Oregon. So I moved down there for a little bit. Came back uh, to Portland and then I moved out to Cleveland, Ohio. And I ran um, a location out there for two and a half years. And then I decided that, hey, you know, I really miss the Pacific Northwest and my friends and family. And so I decided, well, I'm going to come back to the Pacific Northwest. So I actually left True Green, came back to Portland and started my second career, which was working for a lumber trading company. I was really successful at that. And that was... What's lumber trading? So lumber trading is... We would purchase large volumes of different types of lumber, and we did a lot of uh, importing and also some exporting. And uh, we basically, you know, bought containers or you know shiploads of material, and we would turn around and sell it to large stocking dealers in the United States. So you weren't like trading wood, like I got some oak and you got some pine on the underground. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can swap some wood. Yeah, not that kind of kind of trading. <laughs> Basically, is an import-export business, but um, we were referred to as, quote-unquote, traders. And was pretty successful at that, and that was 2003 when I started that job. In 2005, my dad had the company up for sale, and I actually went to him one day and I said, let me buy it from you. And I wanted to buy it as just an investment opportunity because I knew the business. And um, as a young child, you know, in high school, I had envisions that the company could be much bigger than what, you know, my dad had it at that time. And so I thought, hey, I'll buy it from my dad. That provides him, you know, to be able to sell the business because it's really hard to sell a, a chimney sweep business. There's not a lot of buyers out there. (laughs) Well, you got to know what you're doing, right? I mean. Yeah. (laughs) It's a trade, right? So, yeah. And so I bought it from him. And part of the deal of of me purchasing it from him was we were going to hire that first individual. He was going to train him, getting up and going. And so we moved the business from uh, my father's garage at that time over to my garage. And I had an extra bedroom, so I set that up as an office. And actually, at that time, I hired my sister to be the office admin, do all the scheduling, all the paperwork. And then we hired, we had the first employee who was, you know, obviously going out and doing the service work. So that was 2005, and um, everything went good, 2006, 2007, and then uh, 2008 came. Right. And all the stuff that I was doing on the 2008, lumber. 2008, that was like the mortgage dropout, right? When yeah. Everybody- 
the housing no, they have, like, fiasco. Different names for it. I've seen. We used to be watch a lot of British TV. And they would call it the credit crunch. It was okay. the credit crunch. Yeah. Right? I don't know what they call it here. The mortgage failure. Housing <laughs> bubble. Yeah, <laughs> housing <laughs> bubble. Burst. <laughs> the housing burst. I don't know. We'll come up with a good term for it later. Stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what happened after the crash? So everything I did was doing lumber trading wise was all uh, tied into uh, housing. So that dried up really quick, but I did so well previous to that, that I I couldn't let go. So I stayed in it probably until late uh, 2009. And then I just realized that, you know, I'm just ready for a change. I want to do something different and bought this business. And I thought, well, maybe I can actually do something with it. Maybe I should give it a try, jump into it full time and just start building it. And so that's what I did is about 2010 when I made that decision that I was going to just do this full time and see what I can make of it. And so 2010 is when I took the business out of my garage, made the leap into renting out a, a small warehouse and office space and just started, uh, started growing it. So, I mean, you guys have had some amazing growth since then, right? In the last decade. Without kind of giving away any of like the secret sauce, you know, you don't need to give away your like trade secrets or anything like that. But do you want to maybe tell us a little bit more about kind of how you were able to grow it? Because I know a lot of people get stuck in their business. I mean, honestly, so many people get stuck in their business that I wrote a book about it last year, like how to get unstuck, right? But not necessarily about trade businesses. So if you want to talk a little bit about maybe how you were able to grow that business, especially right after the market had dropped out. 2010 wasn't exactly recovery time yet. Right. No, no, it wasn't. Still had a, a lot of hard years and still have hard, hard years. You know, right. they call it the, obviously the growing pains of the business, right? So 2010, you know, one of the things I learned when I was trying to figure out really how to grow the business is, you know, really came down to is how do I reach the customers, right? How do I reach the masses? And so as I was going through that process, trying to figure, and this is really, you know, prior to that, you know, we were in the phone books. So when 2005 hit, or when I purchased the business in 2005, we were focused heavily in print. Right, yellow pages. Yellow pages, yeah. $10,000 for a giant single page in the yellow pages. Yep. It's a bit different now. So uh, I'll tell you a quick story. So in... So the business at that time, I I ran the business out of my house in West Lynn. And so when I took over the business, I wanted to obviously naturally expand to Portland. It's the biggest population close to West Lynn. Mm -hmm. So I decided to expand the Yellow Book advertising from the Clackamas County book to the Portland Metro book. And so... In doing so, I'm thought, well, then this is easy. The phone's going to ring. I'm going to grow the business. Like, you know, this is a, an area that my dad never, you know, marketed the business. So, and that's where the greater population is. So it seems like the logical move to do. Put out a big ad and uh, it came out and a couple months went by and the phone call was just like, they weren't coming mm-hmm. right. like I expected, right? And as I'm looking at the phone calls that were coming in is like the usual kind of area. You know, the business at that time was really focused in, you know, Malala, Oregon City, Clackamas, Camby, Malino, Estacada, you know, kind of that whole. All east side. Yeah, east side, you know, greater Clackamas County area. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't getting a lot in the Portland area, which is where majority of my advertising was at that time. 
So eventually I figured out that, okay, wait a second, like, you know, consumers, the way consumers search and call is really what's closest to them. Meaning that if I'm in Portland and I look for, for a service provider, I'm going to call somebody that's in Portland, not outside of Portland. Right. So that was kind of a defining moment that I had that, okay, wait a second, like I need to like get out of West Lynn <laughs> pretty right. much. Mm-hmm. because people think for whatever reason that maybe I'm too far from them. So basically what I did at that time is I just kind of reevaluated my marketing strategy and really tried to focus the marketing strategy on how I could, you know, be close and relevant to the consumers that were looking for my services. Then that's mainly the time I started switching over to the internet and basically just built, you know, in essence, I built a few sites and just kind of established myself in uh, some local areas and having a local presence. And that really helped to grow the business and let consumers know that, hey, I'm not just in Westland. I do service Portland. So when you say the- you built a few sites, you mean like you had some websites that were each website was geared towards a different location? That is correct. And well, one of the things that kind of separates me from the from the competition is a lot of the competition that uh, I have is they're really focused on a certain area. Like they're not willing to travel. And so there's kind of that stigma where business owners don't want to travel to an area and consumers also think that business owners won't travel right. to their area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in my business, like we have a, a very wide footprint. So I service from the Oregon coast, all the way out to Mount Hood, all the way down to Corvallis, and then all the way up north to uh, Longview, Washington, just from my local office here, which is in, in Wilsonville. That's like hundreds of miles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For people who are local. <laughs> so by opening up that large of a service area for me, like that provided a lot of growth. And I was willing to travel to grow the business. And a lot of companies that I talk to and that I know, like they're just not willing to go outside of a 30 mile radius and they really limit themselves into how fast they can grow because they're just in a small area. At that point, like how many kind of, what do you call them, crews or teams or how many crews do you have going out to all these locations? Like, is it just you and a guy in a truck kind of thing or is it, do you have like... 10, 20 crews kind of going out. I mean, you don't have to tell me exactly how big your business was. Yeah. But. Well, I mean, are you you're talking about 2010? Yeah, 2010. You kind of like start expanding. Because, I mean, a lot of people say, I mean, I hear a lot from real estate agents kind of are in that neighborhood where they go, well, I can sell a house anywhere in Oregon. And you go, well, will you go to Clackamas? And they're like, no. Right. <laughs> like, so, uh, are you going to go drive there or not? Right. You know, right. It's too so far. If it's one guy in a truck, obviously you can't have hundreds of miles of. Right area because you wouldn't be able to get from one to the other. Right. So yeah, we created routes. So we, you know, when somebody scheduled, we had a a day that we'd go out to the coast or a day Mm -hmm. we'd go to Corvallis or Salem or Mount Hood or up in, you know, the Washington area. And as I, you know, continued to expand my service area, then I was adding more technicians, more crews, you know, because my service area got wider and the phone calls, you know, came in and therefore I had to hire more people. You had more routes. Yeah, had more routes. Kind of like dry cleaning delivery business. They're like, okay, Tuesday's Bethany pickup day and Wednesday (laughs) is Hillsboro day and, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, being efficient is is crucial in the service business because you only have X amount of time during a day and you want to obviously try to get as many appointments completed in a day in an efficient manner. You know, I developed these certain routes and a way to route them to where we could be efficient and uh, get the jobs done and we could have people heading in different directions. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. really smart. So that's part of it. I mean, when you're growing, you said you're 
adding on technicians and that your company still has this family feel to it. How do you impart that family feel and that a corporate culture, as you will, to your technicians that you hire, because they're the ones that are representing your business when they're out on the site. That's a good question. <laughs> well, is it more like a hiring thing or more of kind of a training like a thing training. or maybe both? You know, it's definitely both. It's definitely trying to hire the right individuals. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people that we've hired over the years that they want to work for that small business. They don't want to work for the corporate world. And so I think that we've really kind of established ourselves as a local company, even though today, I mean, we're in multiple states and and we're a lot bigger than we were back then. But we still have that small mom and pop feel Mm -hmm. and kind of that that mom and pop, you know, culture, which um, a lot of people like from the consumer standpoint and, you know, obviously the employee standpoint as well. So we tried to keep that small, you know, family business, um, you know, as part of how we want to grow the business. We don't want it to be too corporate, but on the same token, I mean, we are growing the business, of course, but each location, we're treating it as a small mom and pop. They're your cousins. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're our cousins. I know that guy up there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've obviously, since I own a marketing agency, we've talked a lot about marketing, right, in the past. And you've done like kind of all over the board. I mean, you started with like yellow pages, right? And then online advertising, and we've talked about SEO stuff, and, and, you know, you have all these different channels. Do you think, like, were you saying, okay, yellow pages isn't cutting it anymore for this thing, so I'm going to start making like localized websites, and then maybe it's like SEO, and then did you do like one tactic at a time until you were like really good at it and then do something else? Or are you like, I think I'm going to try like a little bit of everything and see what's working. And, you know, I, I mean, I want to say back in like 2005, I'm trying to think is the exact year of when I kind of like wanted to, when I made the transition over to digital. And I want to say it was, it was shortly after I purchased the business from my father. I want to say it was maybe like 2006, 2007, That's somewhere early. in there. Right. I made the transition. This is prior. I made the transition. iPhone came out. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't even think there was AdWords yet. I think AdWords was, what, 2006? I made the transition. So, I I mean, I made the transition probably shortly after that then. So, it was right before the real estate crash, before the the bubble. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I decided to make that decision, when I finally realized how consumers were searching and how I needed to get close to them, I really just made the jump. And I like to say I was probably one of the first ones in the industry that, in my industry, that did that. And I really just, I cut the phone books off 100% switched over to websites and digital marketing at that point and just never looked back. And, you know, we still, to this day, come up with business owners sometimes and have a conversation about getting out of the yellow pages. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, amazing. In, in the rural parts of Oregon, Idaho, Washington, you still get people in, in like Montana. Wow. Yellow pages is like the thing mm-hmm. still. And I mean, it's amazing that uh, that's still a thing to this day when everybody has a worldwide encyclopedia in their pocket, plus a map, plus the right. ability to look up anything anywhere. <laughs> no. <anytime. laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, obviously, I think we can all agree it's a, in my opinion, it's a waste of money. You're not going to get a good uh, return on your investment. 
<laughs> going that route. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it has gotten cheaper. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> I was I actually just thinking that. <laughs> I don't know if it's cheap enough yet, but it's it's definitely cheap. Well, you know what? We were just talking, and well, it's funny because we we recorded the episodes out of order. So the episode after this one is about customer service fails, but we recorded it before this one because you're here listening in, right? Yep. Yep. But. We were talking kind of in that episode about where I was standing in front of a digital billboard, right? And people are like, billboards? Like, who the fuck runs a billboard anymore? And I'm like, billboards are cheap now. Yeah, since. So much cheaper than it used to be. So you're talking about billboards on the side of freeways? Yeah, like yeah. digital really? billboards. Oh, digital. So not the ones that aren't not digital. Not the paper ones. Oh, okay, right? gotcha. Paper ones are still expensive because yeah, yeah, yeah. print them, so yep. we got to put it up. Digital billboard, I can order it online and... Yeah, I get a pennies on the dollar compared to what it used to be, right? Gotcha. Somebody I didn't, told I, me I, I didn't know day, that. <laughs> somebody told me it cost them $12,000 to get a billboard. Yeah. And I so was yeah, on the I've, same billboard for 800 bucks. Yeah, that's crazy because yeah. I, I, <laughs> I've like, actually wanted to get on some billboards because there's a couple that I, I are in like great location. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I've talked to them and yeah, they want like 10 grand a month. and really depends where they are. Right. But we could talk after, but in the marketing and advertising world, There's something that nobody knows, and I'm going to tell you all now. So everybody who has a marketing agency is going to hate me. (laughs) They're called remnants. Okay. Remnant is buying unused advertising space. Okay. So if you buy a remnant, a remnant costs a tenth or less of what normal advertising costs. Gotcha. So we buy remnant billboard space, and like I said, it'll cost us 500, 800, 1200 bucks to run a billboard for a month, where other people on the same billboard are paying 12,000. So let me ask you this: Do you do you feel that you get a return on your investment by being in those spaces that maybe aren't the best location-wise? So we only do them. Well, I, I wouldn't say they're the best location, but they have to be in the geographical area where we're also running digital. Okay. So if we're running digital ads, maybe it's Retarget or something like that. Ads will also run billboard to kind of augment that. Gotcha. And. A hundred percent, we have had people go in, talk to a client, and say, I'm here because I saw you on the billboard. Gotcha. Multiple okay. clients. Multiple clients. Yeah. Which Good to know. was a big surprise to me. Right. I was like, nobody looks at billboards. Right. Like, no one. Because <laughs> everybody's face is in their phone. Yep. If they're in the car, they're a passenger, they're looking at their phone. If they're the driver, they're probably still looking at their phone. <laughs> you know, like nobody's paying attention to billboards. But it turns out that... People do actually pay attention to them, but also if one of my favorite billboards is one right next to a car dealership. So the people who go wander around, look at the cars, they'll see the billboard show up like six, ten times in the two hours that they're walking around the car dealership or one across the street from a coffee shop. Gotcha. People sit in the window of the coffee shop and they see your billboard over and over. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not here to sell billboards, just (laughs) telling you guys. (laughs) That's an available option. Would not be my first choice. Right, right, no. Um, Secondary. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's down the list pretty far. But if you're going to do a whole bunch of marketing, right, on different platforms, I would include it in in, in the things that you do. And now, a quick break. Digital Marketing Masters will be right back. Are you ready to stop grinding and start making an impact? Are you tired of working long hours and not growing your business? Get Matt's new book, Flattening the Hamster Wheel, on Amazon now. Just go to hook2.us slash hamster. That's H-O-O-K-T-O dot U-S forward slash H-A-M-S-T-E-R. So uh, let's get back to it a little bit. I wanted to ask you, 
and not just because I have a gas fireplace. Tell me about gas fireplace cleaning, because until you and I had talked about it, I didn't know that gas fireplace cleaning existed. Yeah, <laughs> my mind was blown when yeah, you said that Karen, the other I was night. Like, I'm working on gas fireplace cleaning website, and she's like, what? And I said, you have to clean it? <laughs> Here's the good news. You are not the only one. Right? <laughs> uh, I would say there's most people don't know that. Yeah, so I mean... Anything that has fire, like, I mean, I always tell people, like, it's a live fire in your house and you want to have that inspected annually and and checked out because things happen. Annually, once a year. Once a year. Yeah. I would say that ours has been inspected never. Okay. Wait, (laughs) untrue. It was probably inspected at home inspection time. Yeah. If we're lucky. Yeah. Home inspectors don't, unfortunately. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't. (laughs) Not properly inspected. Right. I can I can ensure that. Yeah. So basically, you know, with gas fireplaces, is you know they have a lot of different parts. So it's mainly servicing them, so they're very optimal, and so they're going to last longer. And if they do have an issue, it could be possible a carbon monoxide issue. If you don't use it for a while, you can get little bugs and spiders and stuff that actually get down into the venting and build webs, and that causes issues with the appliance being able to actually properly vent. And a lot of this, the, a lot of the components need to be adjusted and serviced. So there's just a lot of moving parts that just require, you know, an annual inspection just for the safety and the optimal right. performance of it. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about like, you know, wood burning fireplaces or wood burning inserts, as an example, those main concern for those is really, you know, the creosote buildup. So with gas, you don't get a creosote buildup. Creosote so, buildup is like the crap in the chimney that can light on fire. That right? catches fire. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. So, you know, there's, you know, 20,000 plus chimney fires a year. And so a lot of people just don't realize that, that there's literally thousands of fires that happen throughout the United States from people that don't service their fireplace. And so my recommendation is whether it's gas, wood, pellet, whatever it is, like you want to have it serviced annually for basically the safety of the home. And always remember that it's a live fire. And Mm. so a lot of times people forget that it's a live fire in the house. And, you know, unfortunately, live fires can be dangerous. You can't just buy one of those like creosote log things and stick it in your fire and be like, okay, gosh, gosh, no. done. <laughs> I also don't recommend putting that in your gas fireplace. No, yeah. <laughs> that would not be a good idea. I'm just kidding. I don't even know if ours opens. I'm pretty sure it's a closed thing. Like, it is. It's concealed, but it, you can open it if you wanted to. <laughs> so cleaning your gas fireplace is like, I mean, besides making it last longer, does it make it like, is it more efficient? Is it? burn hotter like I don't yeah it, it's going to be it's going to be more efficient it's kind of like a tune-up on your car as an example right, right. Mm-hmm. like the longer you go without a tune-up it just the the, the less performance that it's going to you know your uh, gas per miles are going to increase and you just don't get that optimal performance out of it and, and it's also like safety related like believe it or not I mean there are instances where something goes wrong inside the unit and you have a bunch of gas buildup up and all of a sudden it explodes like that that's stuff yeah. like that happens and so just getting it serviced on an annual basis just ensures that everything's working properly you don't have any leaks and that's you know th- things like that do happen because parts wear out so if somebody is you know your homeowner or maybe you have investment property you know whatever that is i mean if you have a, have a wood burning fireplace 
how how often does the chimney itself need to be uh, like inspected i guess or is that something you do when you clean it or like like how would i know if i have my house for 20 years how do i know if my chimney's going to light on fire so well you, you won't know unless you have it inspected <laughs> <laughs> so do you order an inspection or is that more like, hey, can you come clean my chimney and then they inspect it when they clean it? Or is it like, I guess, I don't know how it works because I've never done it. Yeah. So if a customer calls in, we, we'll usually, you know, ask them, you know, well, and, and usually the, the, the consumer might tell us too, like, hey, I've, I haven't used my fireplace in 20 years, but I'm going to use it this year. Right. I don't know if it needs to be cleaned or not. Can you guys come out and take a look at it? And so at that point, we'll tell them, yeah, of course. And we'll schedule what's called an inspection slash cleaning, which mm-hmm. will come out there to inspect it, make sure it needs to be cleaned. And if it does, we'll clean it at that time. And then we'll also do a safety inspection. And so one of the things that we do as part of our safety inspection is we run a, a camp camera up the inside of the chimney. Oh, things have gotten fancy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Technology. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the only true, I mean, we're, we're one of the few companies actually in the greater Portland and, you know, Seattle area that utilizes cameras to do our inspection because you can't, you can't get a true safety inspection of a chimney unless you look at the interior parts of it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our competitors, what they do is they'll get on the roof and just look at the exterior and maybe peek their head from down low. But that doesn't solve any safety issues because most chimney fires that happen that catch the house on fire is because of like cracks and voids and something that's wrong inside the interior of the chimney. Hmm. Right, so it's like in the middle somewhere where you couldn't see it from the top or the bottom. Yeah, yep. So chimneys, you know, here in Portland, as an example, is there's a lot of old chimneys from houses built in the early, you know, 1920s to, you know, 1960s that don't have terracotta flue tiles on the interior of the chimney. It's just brick and mortar. And so what we find with those old chimneys is that if they catch fire, they're more likely to catch the house on fire Hmm. because the house is basically surrounded by wood. So if you have a chimney that's in the middle of the house, I mean, you got wood on all four sides. Mm-hmm. And if your chimney's on the side of the house, you still have one side of the chimney that's against so, wood, so to speak. So the chimney goes up and it's brick and mortar around the chimney, but the fire starts inside the chimney and that gets hot enough to start the wood on fire outside of that? Or is it the yeah. chimney is like the brick is cracked or something and that's how it gets in? Or Yeah, so... What we find is a lot of, you know, deterioration inside the chimneys and or cracks. And mm-hmm. so when the, when the chimney catches on fire is you have a sudden occurrence and that heat is looking for a place to escape. And through the cracks is where you get what's called heat transfer. And that's where if you have wood against a chimney that, you know, that wood starts drying out. And when you have 2000 degrees inside that chimney, which is the, you know, what's what's happening when that chimney catches fire, then that's when you can get combustion to happen and that wood just catches on fire. Hmm. And uh, if it's the four months a year that it doesn't rain, you're in a real problem in Portland. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't want your house to light on fire. No. 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 So I guess my my last question here would be, like, what were some of the difficulties you found from expanding, like, just from your local marketplace? And, like, I mean, even expanding to Seattle, I mean, yeah, it's in another state and it's it's far, but it's... It's not far like expanding to like California or something, right? Right, so, right. Why don't you, did you have some difficulties expanding to some of the other cities? Yeah, Seattle was an interesting expansion for me. 
So when I first decided that, okay, I wanted to expand the business, Seattle was just the next largest city to us. So that made sense to me. And so I built a couple websites up there, started doing marketing and I wanted to kind of, at first I wanted to test it out. So I had all the phone calls routed in my phone because I wanted to get to know the area. Phone calls came in and I said, well, I'm going to book myself the appointment so I can get to know the area and figure out scheduling and routing and all Mm -hmm. that. So the calls came in. I literally uh, would hop in a van, drive up for the day, you know, leave at like four o'clock in the morning, drive up to Seattle, work all day, drive back. And that's how I originally started the business was just myself making the drive, one day drives. And then eventually I had enough business that I was like, well, I'm going to have to stay in the hotel. So I'd mm-hmm. go up there, work all day, stay in the hotel, work the next day, drive back. And I did that for probably about the first year. And then I decided, okay, like I can't do this anymore. Yeah, that's <laughs> a long day. Yeah, yeah. I made some very long days and I'm, I'm sure my wife wasn't happy either. So. <laughs> right. so eventually then I hired a first employee. And with each of the expansions I've done, and I've always wanted to take kind of a, a slow approach to it. So what I did is I opened up a storage unit stocked it with everything I needed, hired the first guy, gave him one of my company vans you know, full of equipment. He just kept it at his house and just basically worked out of the storage unit. And that's how I was able to kind of, for me, that's I wanted to test the waters before just jumping full into it. Right. And so we did it that way for probably about two years. And then at that point, I made the decision that, and I had two employees at that time. And then I made the decision that, hey, if I'm going to grow this business, like I really should probably move up there. Mm -hmm. And so me and my family actually moved up to Seattle so I could just dedicate my time solely to getting that business off the ground. I get there, we get everything unpacked and I'm moved and and I'm two days into my new office, which I rented a, a one man, literally a 10 by 10 room which was my office. And we had the storage unit down the street and two days into it, I come into work and I have a note on my door with a list of demands from, from my employees. Whoa. Basically this is, this is like on a Wednesday. Now, mind you, their schedules are full Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that they got jobs. And the letter stated that we're not coming back to work until you meet our demands. We're turning off our phones and we're going to turn our phones back on the following Monday so you have time to reflect on the demands. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was two days into my, you know, moving my family up to Seattle. So I looked at their demands and, you know, I said, no, it's not going to work. And so I sent them a text message and, and an email just stating, hey, if you guys don't show up tomorrow, you're going to be fired. We're not going to wait till Monday to, you know, for me to think right. about things. And the next day came, they didn't show up. So I obviously fired them. And then it was just me back right. to, you know, the business owner, back up in Seattle with my family, no employees. And I was back out in the field again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a pretty poor employee experience. Yeah, yeah. That was my start to Seattle. Right. <laughs> but well, it's, uh, Seattle's an odd place sometimes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Seattle's really grown on me. I actually love the city. You know, our original goal was to, to move there for two years. We actually made it a year and decided to, to move back. But looking back, me and my wife both were like, you know, maybe we should have stayed a little bit longer because we actually did like it. Right. But all of our friends and family were here, so we actually wound up making the move. So long story short, I was back out in the field. You know, I was the estimator. I was the mason. I was the chimney sweep. I was the business owner. Still had my location in Portland that I had to manage, which I had, you know, operations manager in place at that time. So just more more of overseeing it. 
But then I was just able to kind of just build it, you know, build a team around me. And so within a year's time, I had a team that uh, was good and I could put one of the guys in charge and we moved into a larger location and actually had a warehouse and office space. And I felt comfortable at that time I could move back to Portland. So. All right. Well, I think, um, I mean, I want to be respectful of your time. And uh, so we should probably cut it there. I know we could probably talk for a while longer still. Right. But we could. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was kind of surprised at how interesting the chimney business was because I had no idea that, I mean, I knew people made chimneys and like, I knew chimney sweeps were a thing. And that's about as much as I knew about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's actually like, I mean, there's a whole trade business around it and like construction and licensing and all these things. You need permits. And yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's quite the operation going on there. So chimcare.com yes. is the website. We'll have that. And gasfireplacecleaning.com also. And we'll put those in the show notes and uh, any other information that people need to get a hold of you. Do you have like a phone number or something? Somebody wants to call if they want, you know, you to come sure. inspect their chimney? Yeah. Our uh, local phone number here is 503-655-2446. All right. And they can go to chimcare.com if they're outside of Portland. Yep. Sorry, we're not in Canada, Australia or anywhere. <laughs> Just U.S. right now. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, if if you anybody can call that number and, and still get the same service and we still do scheduling, we have obviously separate offices, but we can still do scheduling uh, from this office as well. So. All right. So I guess we'll leave it at that and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for coming on. Okay, Thank you. Bet. I appreciate you having me. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Markoff. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Next week on Digital Marketing Masters, we're talking about customer service fails. Dun, dun, dun. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.